You are in Biblical Biographies, and today is Isaac. Uh, my name is Ben Brophy. I'm one of the elders here at Delray Baptist Church. Um, Isaac, so what we're going to do today, to just give you a roadmap of where we're going, I'm going to try to be brief, but we'll see how that goes, and give an overview of Isaac's life, just kind of the key events, and pull out a couple of biblical texts just to give a little bit of insight into his life. Uh, then we're going to move to theological themes. I have three, though you all might add some more. Uh, and so we're going to kind of pull out some broad theological themes from the life of Isaac uh, and talk about those. And then lastly, third section, I'm going to talk about practical lessons uh, from the life of Isaac. So that's the Isaac, he was just like us. Um, and so we're going to see that he encountered quite a few things that are still super relevant to us today as we live our daily life. But before I do any of that, I'm going to pray um, and just help us, yeah, ask the Lord to help us prepare to hear his word. Heavenly Father, um, we do come to you and glorify you as the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Long ago, you visited three men in the ancient Near East and made promises to them and started covenant relationships with them. And through them, the entire world has been blessed. And so we thank you for having such an intricate and beautiful and redemptive plan from before, long before any of us were here. And as we dive into the story of Isaac today, Lord, we do pray that you would open our eyes to spiritual realities, that you would help us understand your word um, and be encouraged and equipped for the work of the ministry. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the three patriarchs. These are the guys, or some of the guys in the Old Testament. I'm curious, though, I'm going to start with a question. What do any of you, what impressions, thoughts, assumptions, things you've heard about Isaac? What are some common things you think of when you think of Isaac? Russell looks like he has something. Um, I, I was thinking of his marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Finding, finding a wife and, yeah. No, that's a good one. Yeah. Sorry. That's, I know that's not the main thing. No, no, no. That's great. So. <laughs> Anybody else? Hmm. Hmm. Brett, you now, now I feel like you look like you have something to say. I, so to be clear, I'm really not afraid of just calling you out and being like, tell me what you think. So just be warned. People always say, like, oh, his dad tried to, like, sacrifice him or something. And yeah. That whole yeah. thing. So. Yeah. 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 So Brett mentioned uh, the, the sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham. I think what's interesting about those two examples um, is the finding his wife. He actually has nothing to do with that. That's the servant of Abraham. And then the sacrifice of Isaac, he's a pretty passive participant. Um, and so I kind of called this story today, Isaac, the quiet patriarch. I probably should have put a question mark after that. But my assumption about Isaac um, was, I don't know, he's pretty innocuous. He's, I don't remember much about him. He's the guy between Abraham and Jacob. Like Abraham's like, you know, the, the starter of it all. And Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. So like Isaac, I don't know, he seems, he seems fine. He seems quiet, uh, not offensive. Uh, but as I started preparing this lesson, what I realized about Isaac uh, is that he's just like his dad. 
and Jacob is just like him, which is to say a faithful and yet deeply flawed character in the Old Testament. Uh, and so I think there's encouragement there for us. The Old Testament is just chock full of these people who are not by in fact they're jacked up. Families are messed up. And yet, because they are faithful, um, the Lord is kind to them and blesses them and keeps his promises to them. So let's start a little bit with Isaac's life. We're going to start with Isaac's birth. So if you have your uh, if you have your handout, that is the first point, Isaac's birth. Um, we're going to go a little bit before Isaac's born, and we're covering some of the ground that's already been covered with Abraham, but we're going to start in Genesis 12, 1 through 7, and this is, this is the promise that God makes to Abraham. He makes, this promise, he makes these promises in a couple of places, but I just picked uh, Genesis 12. This is what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God has made a promise to Abraham that says, you are going to be a father of great nations. Through you, the earth will be blessed. And as you know, Abraham and Sarah struggled with infertility for a long time. And Isaac, well, Ishmael is born first to uh, Sarah's servant, and then Isaac is born to Sarah when she's around 100 years old. And so Isaac then becomes an answer or a down payment on this promise that God has made. So essentially, uh, Abraham is, is wondering how this promise is going to be fulfilled, and when he talks to God, he says, oh yeah, may Ishmael live because this is the son that I actually have. Sarah's too old to have a kid. Um, you know, it's too late for Sarah to have a child. The Lord says, no, you will have a son and his name will be Isaac. Uh, and so at this point, we see that the Lord is making a promise specifically of Isaac. And this is the first down payment on the, the great nations that come from Abraham. Now, Ishmael is the father of great nations as well. But there's a particular part of the promise that's fulfilled through the line of Isaac that's not through Ishmael. And this is the blessing of the entire earth, which of course comes through Jesus Christ, who's in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Ishmael. So there's a particular down payment on those two promises, uh, being the father of great nations and a blessing to all the earth that comes through Isaac. So this is the first step, well, not the first step, but one of the first steps in God answering or making good on his promise to Abraham. Uh, would somebody read uh, Genesis 17, 17 through 19, where we're actually going to see the Lord um, yeah, give Isaac to Abraham and Sarah? Then Abraham fell on his face <clears throat> and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but your, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Yep. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So this is what we were just talking about. We see that the Lord is going to start to make good on these promises through specifically Isaac. So Isaac is kind of a child of the promise. He is 
like one of the sons of this promise. And so that first bullet point under Isaac's birth there is promises made. So this is promises made. The Lord is making promises and he's, and he's going to answer them through Isaac. Uh, and then we see in Genesis 21, 1 through 7, that the Lord does visit Sarah and gives her conception and Isaac is born. And so here we see promises kept. So that second bullet point is promises kept. I shamelessly and without any guilt stole that from Mark Dever, who talks about promises made being the Old Testament and promises kept being the New Testament. And so what we see here is like a microcosm of that same thing. God makes promises and he keeps them because he is a promise-keeping God. His word is true regardless of any circumstance that we face. So what the, what the promise made to Abraham and this, this, down, this small fulfillment of an Isaac, what this mirrors, what this points to, is the greater promise of God in the entire Old Testament of Messiah. And that promise is kept, that promise is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ who comes to live a perfect life, die, be raised again, so that we might become reconciled to God, that we might become people. Isaac's birth, we see promises made and we see promises kept. So this is, he comes into the world and like the Lord is all over him. Second big point in Isaac's biography, Isaac's sacrifice. This is what bread, this is what bread, bread. I'm sorry, bread. That's terrible. What a, what a snafu. Oh, man. This is what bread mentioned uh, as I asked, what do you remember about Isaac? Uh, and this is Isaac's sacrifice. Um, and we're, I'm going to read a couple of parts. It's a long, it's in Genesis 22, but I'm going to read a couple of parts here just to orient the story. And you guys already heard uh, the, the, the equipping our class on Abraham. So we've gone over this a little bit, but I want to, I want to just refresh our memory and look at it from the lens of Isaac, right? I think we often think about Abraham in this particular story, but let's talk about Isaac. This is Genesis 22. I'll read one through eight. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And so what we see here um, is Isaac is of some age, young, we don't know. Uh, he's old enough to carry the wood for the sacrifice. So, you know, he has some amount of physical strength. Commentators will peg it anywhere between 8 and 15. Who knows? We don't know. But he's not, he's not an infant. Um, he is a young man with some level of agency. Um, and what we see from Abraham 
is that he trusts the Lord, right? Um, he says to the, to the servants who are with them, he says, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And so Abraham fully expects to come back with Isaac. Doesn't matter how? Hebrews 7 gives a little light on this, that uh, Abraham thought that even if he had to kill Isaac, that the Lord could raise him up. And so he had faith that God was going to bring him back with his son. He just didn't know how it was going to happen. He still had faith in it. But he's not the only one who has faith in this story. So point A there under number two is Abraham trusts the Lord because he expects to come back with Isaac. Point two, or B rather, is Isaac trusts his father. So Isaac, he's of an age where he ostensibly could struggle, could flee, could do something. Now I'm I'm making a little bit of inference from the text. This is a bit of an argument from silence, but I don't think it's outlandish to speculate that Isaac could have resisted. Yet, he trusts his father, who trusts the Lord. And so I think there's a lesson for us in terms of parenting, and we're gonna talk talk about some of this in the practical aspects from Isaac's life. But it it is a blessing when our fathers have faith in the Lord and it gives us confidence to have faith in them. So I think what we see here is Abraham is trusting the Lord and Isaac trusts his father. He does not resist and he's willing to be tied to the, to the potential bonfire and lay down his life. Now, of course, the Lord stays Abraham's hand. He provides a ram. Abraham says at the end of this, the Lord will provide and Isaac and Abraham do return to the servants as Abraham expected, as Abraham had faith. And so this is another pivotal, li- pivotal moment in the life of Isaac where he trusts his father who trusts the Lord during Isaac's sacrifice. Third kind of key point from Isaac's life, Isaac's marriage. This is what Russell mentioned. This is Genesis 24, and it's a long chapter, so I'm, gonna, I'm going to try to summarize in my own really imperfect way. So Abraham uh, is getting older. And he wants to find a bride for his son, uh, Isaac. And so it it was customary, it was somewhat normal in those times for parents to arrange marriages for their children. Uh, And so Abraham's reaching the end of his days and he wants to make sure Isaac's settled. And so he goes to one of his servants, I need you to go to my kinsmen and find a bride for Isaac. And this servant, who remains nameless, um, essentially says, okay, I will go. And he arrives in the town, and he prays to the Lord, essentially, Lord, bless my mission. Help me serve my master. If you would, uh, if the woman who comes and offers me a drink, let that be the woman who I'm supposed to bring back to Isaac to marry him. Lo and behold, Rebekah comes out and does give water and offers it to the servant, he brings the servant back to Rebecca's family. They have a conversation. The family, he, the servant relies how he prayed for a very specific thing. The Lord answers that prayer. And so the family of Rebecca, including Laban, who's instrumental in Jacob's life, um, say, yes, if Rebecca wants to go, go. Go be married to Isaac. So the servant praises God and says, this is of the Lord, and brings Rebecca back to Isaac and they get married and Isaac essentially almost on first sight loves her and she loves him. And so 
this is how Isaac's marriage comes together is through kind of these third secondary and tertiary parties his father Abraham and the servant of God or servant of Abraham who trusts in the Lord and we don't we don't know his name so this is Isaac's marriage another key event uh, Isaac's children point four so uh, like Sarah Rebecca also struggled with infertility um, and so uh, in Genesis 20 yeah somebody would somebody read Genesis 25 21 Emily Geikemba. <laughs> and Isaac praised the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebecca and his wife conceived. So uh, that first point under Isaac's children, uh, pray for children, pray uh, to have children. And so Rebecca is struggling with infertility, and what is, how does Isaac respond to that? He responds by petitioning the Lord. Uh, he prays and he asks the Lord um, to bring conception. Uh, and the Lord does, right after the text that we just read, we see that Rebecca does become pregnant. And so verse, uh, verse 22 says, The children struggled within her. So she was going to have twins. And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So we see a prayer for children, and we see a prophecy about their children. So that's A and B, prayer for children and a prophecy about their children. So from the very beginning, uh, we see that Isaac's children are, one, going to be in in conflict to some degree, in struggle, and the younger, Jacob, is going to rule over the older, uh, Esau. Next kind of key point in Isaac's life is Isaac's faith and deceit. And this comes from Genesis chapter 26. This is the only chapter in, all, in the entire Bible that is in, essentially devoted to Isaac. So our, our man here, the quiet patriarch, who doesn't get much press, this is, this is the story that's kind of centered around him. So uh, can I get somebody to read Genesis 26 through, yeah, 26, 1 through 6? I'll let you volunteer this time. I won't call on anybody. Liz. So here is, um, this is the good part. So this is Isaac's faith and deceit. The first six verses, the Lord comes to him and says, this promise, this covenant that I've made with Abraham, I'm going to extend that promise and that covenant to you. You will, you will inherit the same blessing. And so he tells him there's a famine in the land, and the Lord says, uh, don't go to Egypt, go, go here, go to Gerar. And to his credit, Verse 6 says, so Isaac settled in Gerar, and he, has, he listens to the Lord. He has faith 
that the Lord will take care of him. And so that is Isaac's credit. Or that's an example for us. But very quickly, in verse 7, we see him lose a little bit of his confidence in the Lord and start to rely on his own kind of sinful, uh, by any means possible, perspective. So verse 7, when the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Uh, so this mirrors uh, the story of Abraham, who twice does this with Sarah, where he says, oh, that's not my wife, that's, that's my sister, because he was afraid that he was going to be killed on account of her and that she would be taken as a wife by somebody else. And so Isaac is imaging his father here by being deceitful, even though the Lord says, go to this place, and he should be trusting in the Lord to provide and protect Instead, he takes it upon himself to be deceitful uh, to a man named Abimelech. Uh, likely, this is not the same Abimelech from Abraham's story. It's probably his son. There's a distance of about 75 years between the first Abimelech and this one. That's free. You don't really, it doesn't really matter. Uh, <clears throat> and so Abimelech says, he finds out that Rebekah is his wife and says, like, hey, man, why, why'd you tell me that? She's your sister. Like one of us could have laid hands on her and then we would have incurred judgment on ourselves for violating the marriage covenant. Um, and there's a little bit of conflict over this. And so eventually Isaac departs from there and uh, he encamps in the Valley of Gerar. This is Genesis 26, 17. And so Isaac digs these wells and then there's some conflict with some of the people who are living there. And so he moves and digs some more wells and then there's more conflict about this water is ours no it's ours and so they moves and digs some more wells uh, and eventually he lands at a he in verse 22 we see that he moved from there and dug another well they did not quarrel over it hey all right we found a place that no one's going to bother us and he called its name rehoboth saying for now the lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land and so throughout the rest of this chapter, we see that the Lord continues to bless him. And eventually the people of the land, uh, you know, proto-Philistines or whatever you want to call them, if you want to call them that way, uh, they say, we need you to, you're becoming too strong. The Lord is blessing you. There's a famine in the land and he's blessing you with tons of food. Um, we don't want to have conflict with you. Let's make a covenant, a peace treaty between us to not have conflict and kind of move on. And so, uh, and so they do, and Isaac and his family moves on. Um, but what I see in chapter 26 that's so helpful is, is kind of the thing I said at the beginning. These patriarchs, these pillars of Israel, um, they're super flawed, and Isaac is so different. He's making the same mistakes as his father. He's being deceitful. He's not trusting the Lord, and yet the Lord is still faithful. So Romans 3.3 3 says, so what if some are faithless? By no means let God be true that every man a liar. God will be faithful even when people are faithless. Uh, and so we see him doing that here. God's faithfulness is not dependent on our behavior, but rather on his character. Uh, and so I think that's, that's one of the things that really stood out to me from this particular uh, chapter in Isaac's Faith and Deceit. Uh, Genesis 27, Isaac's blessing. So here, uh, this, is the, this is more of a Jacob thing, um, but Isaac still has a role to play. Uh, so the, the story goes, uh, essentially, that um, 
Isaac knows that he's nearing the end of his life. And so he says to Esau, his firstborn, hey, go get me some of that food that I love um, and uh, I'll give you a blessing. And so Esau says, sure, I'm going to go out. I'm going to kill some game, prepare it for my dad. Uh, and then I'll get my blessing. I've already traded my birthright for a bowl of porridge. Uh, you know, so I, you know, yeah, Esau comes in off the field. He's really hungry. Uh, he says, Jacob, give me some, give me some stew. And Jacob says, give me your birthright. And Esau says, sure. Uh, bad choice, um, but he does it. And so now uh, Esau wants to get his blessing from his father. So he goes out to hunt. In the meantime, uh, Rebecca and Jacob uh, essentially deceive Isaac by pretending to be Esau. And Isaac gives uh, Jacob the blessing. Um, and uh, Esau comes back in from the fields. Jacob's out of there and uh esau is distraught he's he's this this jacob has taken my uh birthright and now he's taken my blessing um and so esau says uh, is there not any blessing uh that you can give me and so isaac uh isaac says he's before because he realizes he's been deceived um and so in Genesis 27:38 Esau said to his father, "Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father." And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, "Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of the heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his neck, break his yoke from your neck." Uh, and then at this point, Esau hates Jacob and basically comforts himself by saying, I'm going to kill Jacob uh, when my father dies. Um, again, looking at this section through a, an Isaac lens, I think the thing that's interesting is despite the deceit of Jacob, um, when, when uh, Isaac essentially prophesies, oh, prophesies over Jacob, and even though Esau is his favorite, he knows he can't undo it. He has to stay firm. The Lord has revealed to him. Um, and as for the prophecy itself, um, interestingly enough, like uh, we think about Jacob and Esau, uh, Jacob personally never rules over Esau. These prophecies come true with the descendants of both of them because the descendants of Esau were subordinate to Israel. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, so Isaac's, Isaac's perspective here is he has to stay true to what the Lord has revealed to him regardless of his personal feelings. Um, so this is Isaac's blessing. Finally, Isaac's death, and we see this in Genesis 35, 27 through 29. Genesis 35, 27 through 39. Sorry, 27 through 29. Um, would anybody like to read that? It's quick. Uh, and Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So this is the end of Isaac's life. His sons have reconciled, which had to be encouraging. Um, he's been successful. He's had plenty of days to live. He's, the Lord has blessed him, and he goes home to be with the Lord. And so thus ends the days of Isaac. And this is a quick biographical sketch uh, of Isaac's life. Before we move on, does anybody have any questions or observations from Isaac's life that perhaps I missed in my rushed delivery? 
or questions, also acceptable. Tim says no. Brett. I do have, like, I've always kind of wondered, I don't know if you, I mean, but why do you, I mean, I guess lying, but why do you think it was so important that, like, when Isaac blessed Jacob and not Esau, he couldn't just be like, you tricked me, <laughs> I'm not blessing you? Yeah. So I take it as, so, um, as I studied this this week, I take it as um, that was prophecy in the sense that the Lord reveals, revealed this to him. So, A, before... Before um, Jacob and Esau are born, the Lord gives a prophecy of the, the older will serve the younger. Uh-huh. Um, so that's like a reve- that's the Lord revealing what's going to happen. And uh-huh. then he gives a prophetic word again when, Jacob, when Isaac's giving his blessing. That, that is, corresponds to that one. And so uh, I think of, yeah, I think basically the Lord's revealing this to him and Isaac's like, oh, well, I can't go against the word of the Lord regardless of... Um, yeah, regardless of my personal feelings or trickery or whatever else, um, that's how I that's how I read it. I think just adding on that, you know, the text says that, that his eyes were dim, but I think even that just the spiritual sight was also dim and dull because he would have known about that 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 prophecy. Yet mm. he was still among all other things, he was still trying to accomplish what he he wanted. And so I think, yeah, even like you said, is. When he spoke those words, there, there had to be, you know, just kind of realization that yeah, this is this is from the Lord because yeah. he has made those promises all. all. Yeah, uh, Ben Hamilton, this compliment, like almost verbatim. That's what a commentary said. So, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> good, uh, good insight. Uh, so, Brett's question was, why didn't Isaac just change his mind? Um, and answer being like, Isaac, one thing, you know, just seems to be convinced that this is from the Lord, um, and yeah. So I think that's my answer to that. Any other questions or comments, observations from the life of Isaac? Yeah, Mandy. Explain a bit of the difference between the birthright and the blessing. Like, were those tied to, because yeah. didn't Jacob, um, I mean, didn't, didn't Jacob kind of already have the blessing? Those things kind of like bloody tied perspective. Um, I don't know how tied they are or not tied. I will look into it and give you an answer, though. Yeah. Um, Cool. So this is the life of Isaac. Uh, We're going to talk about theological themes from the life of Isaac. I have three. That's certainly not the full number of theological themes from Isaac's life. So I'd love to hear from all of you. Any, Any themes, any theological themes that on in the life of Isaac. Or how about we do it this way? I'm stealing this from uh, Daniel Stevens who did this in another class. Why don't you all break up into groups of like three or four, have a little discussion amongst yourselves and think, try to think through what theological themes you might be able to pull from the life of Isaac. We'll take like four minutes. Go for it. Don't make me put you into groups.
No one can steal Amanda's point, even though we, even though we can hear it. No one's allowed to steal it. Let's come back together as a fuller group. Um, so I'm curious. It looks like we broke up into three groups. Is that about right? Four? Four. All right. Let's start, let's start in the back. Any, any theological themes saw from the life of Isaac? Oh, is it our group? No, no. The one behind you. So this is the Emily Geick and my Tim group. No themes. I'm sure you got something. Obedience. Obedience. That's a good one. Well, um, I was thinking of the sacrifice. Like when he was, yep. that he was old enough to understand what's going on. Yep. Absolutely. It's a good one. Faith in God's promises. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Those are good ones. Those are both faith and providence, sovereignty. Definitely things that are on my list for sure. But up here in the front, either Hamilton or or Balikian, either or. Yeah. 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 Yeah
Yeah, we had we had the faithfulness as well. We we also uh, just saw God's continued promise uh, fulfilled in um, yeah, just in, in the many different yeah from the birth from the promise of the birth from um, yep. all the way God's promise to Abraham um, being fulfilled through Isaac, but then continued even through um, yeah, Isaac blessing Jacob as well. Yep, absolutely. Russell, Amanda. Well, we kind of talked about his sacrifice, like how he was a type of Christ, is that what it's called? Yes, um, like very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he trusted his father. He was willing to yeah. be sacrificed, um, but then the Lord provided a sacrifice and ultimately provided a perfect sacrifice in Christ. Yeah, yeah that's good. Gentlemen behind the book. Was yeah, that? We came up with the same thing, and we also... So they made like kind of the same promises to Isaac. Uh, God made the same promises to Isaac that he did to Abraham, and he fulfilled them. Yeah, that's good. You guys did really well. Uh, you all kind of hit the three that I have. So the first, the first there under theological themes that I had is covenant, which is promise, you know, promise keeping, promise made, promise kept, covenant. Um, and so, yeah, you all kind of hit on it in Genesis twelve one through seven. We see the Abrahamic covenant, right? This is God's promise to Abraham and he's going to offer a few things one land you're going to he promised he gives him the promised land two many great nations will come from you uh, and then three a blessing to all the earth which is fulfilled in Christ who's who's the Messiah right so uh, we see God kind of keeping his promise um, one both by Ishmael and Isaac. So Ishmael is the father of many nations, and so is, so is Isaac. But what's unique to Isaac is that it's through the line, through that particular line, that the entire world is blessed, both in the, yeah, in the nation of Israel and then ultimately fulfilled in Christ. So um, that specific promise is carried through Isaac and not others. So we see like the Lord starting to, to make good on his promises, even, even this early, even through and the Lord like, seems to like to do it in a way that defies belief, right? So Sarah struggles with barrenness, infertility, and the Lord gives her a son, Isaac. And then Rebecca struggles with the same thing, and Isaac prays to the Lord. And the Lord opens uh, Rebecca's womb, and he has um, a son. And so what we see is that the Lord keeps his promises, and ultimately we see that he he the fullest expression of that in Christ. This is essential to, to who God is. He is somebody who is true to his word. Um, and if he says it, it is true because of who he is. So covenant, absolutely. Um, second theological theme I saw was uh, providence. You, you can It's not quite a synonym with sovereignty, um, but it's kind of the careful arranging of circumstances to produce that produce the outcomes that God wants to produce. So um, I was thinking, there's, you can see this in a couple of places, but I see this most clearly um, in Genesis 24, um, 12 through 15. This is the, the servant of Abraham, and he's praying. He says, And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one 
whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcai, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. And so what we see is the Lord providentially brings this servant of Abraham to, to a well, uh, causes him to pray a particular prayer, looking for a particular answer to that prayer, and then who shows up but Rebecca. So this is the Lord's providential hand arranging things so that he can fulfill his promises. This is the way he's going to do it. He's putting all the pieces into place. Um, so providence is certainly a theme that I saw. Uh, and then third, uh, faith. I think we talked about, I think Emily got at this a little bit, obedience and faith. I have faith in, Abraham has faith in the Lord, while Isaac has faith in his father. Um, so we see this, this element of faith. And then Hebrews 11, 17 through 22, kind of gives us, really good insight into the patriarchs and their faithfulness. So would somebody want to read Hebrews 17, or sorry, Hebrews 11, 17 through 22? I read it. Okay. Yeah, man. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was not in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able, uh, able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when uh, dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his so what we see is that it's by faith. Like these, these men are operating in faith. And the Bible tells us that it's credit for Abraham is credit to him as righteousness and for Isaac and for, for Jacob. So they're acting in faith. Like things are not super clear. Um, another example is in Genesis 26 when the Lord tells Isaac, hey, I'm going to extend the blessing of Abraham to you. Um, I need you to not go to Egypt. I need you to go here. And so Isaac does that, even though there's a famine, even though going to Egypt would get him further away from the famine. He's still having faith in the Lord. And so there's, a, there's certainly a theme of faith that we see uh, in, the, in the life of Isaac. So those are the three themes that I saw. I thought you guys nailed all of those. Um, the last section I want to kind of talk about in our time together is uh, kind of practical lessons. From, from Isaac's life. So Isaac, he was just like us. Um, for the sake of time, I'm going to read through some of these and comment briefly. Um, the first, and this stems straight out of the faith, but it's trust the Lord, right? We're supposed to trust the Lord. Um, we see uh, that Isaac, even though, um, even though he's, he favors Esau, because of the food that Esau brings, when he has to give uh, utterance to the, the blessing and what's going to happen, he's still, he's not able to overturn it despite his personal um, feelings. So he trusts the Lord. In Genesis 26, 
when they're digging several wells and there's conflict with the people living there, he continues to move on to new wells and dig new wells, trusting the Lord. And uh, eventually the Lord um, blesses him. And so Genesis 26, 22 kind of points this out. And Isaac moved there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So he's trusting the Lord, even if it doesn't make sense. Uh, the second kind of like pastoral issue or practical issue um, that we see both in Abraham's life and in Isaac's life is that of, of infertility. And so it is uh, extremely difficult. Um, yeah, it's just a hard thing for married couples to struggle with. Like, well, why, why, why are we not able to get pregnant? And so what we see is that for Isaac, he takes that to the Lord. And that's to his credit. He, he uh, processes that vertically. He prays to the Lord. Um, to, to open Rebecca's womb, and the Lord does. We see this in Abraham and Sarah's life. Sarah's reached an age that's past childbearing age, and so she, she kind of laughs, at the, scoffs at the very idea that she should get pregnant. But um, for, for, for any of us who are kind of thinking through those things or wrestling with those things, like it is, we do, the Lord can do anything at any time, and so we've, we've got to trust him, even in something that's, that's difficult, like infertility. Um, Third thing that's kind of all over this, all of the pa the patriarchs, is uh, family issues, <laughs> for lack of a better word, uh, family issues. So uh, Genesis 26, uh, 34 through 35 um, says this, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, 20, uh, Genesis 27, 46 says, Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Uh, parental favoritism. Uh, Isaac prefers Esau because Esau brings him food. Uh, we see... Um, so on the negative side, we kind of see two things here. One, um, be, be wise in who you marry. So what Esau did that was unwise is he, he marries people outside of um, their kin network, uh, people of the land. And Rebecca and Isaac recognize this as incredibly difficult and painful. Um, and so they exhort Jacob to marry somebody from within their own kin network. Um, so we see like kind of for lack of a better word, in-law conflict. So the lesson for us um, is to marry wisely. Uh, with parental favoritism, we see like Esau and Jacob were in conflict literally from the womb. So J Jacob's grabbing his heel. Uh, and so the these guys are at each other's throats uh, for much of their life. And I don't think it's a jump to suggest Isaac's favoritism and Rebecca's, because she favored Jacob, um, didn't help. And so as we think about how we parent, um, we, need to be, we need to be careful not to show favoritism to any one child because it can, yeah, be, at the very least be very incredibly discouraging, but at the worst, create enmity between siblings. On the positive side, and we talked about this a bunch, so I won't, I won't, beat, it, I won't beat it to death, um, but we do see uh, Abraham demonstrating faith as a father for Isaac to have faith in him and by extension have faith in the Lord. And so it's a blessing when fathers and mothers 
demonstrate faith for their children to kind of rest in, have a, a solid, uh, yeah, rely on a solid grounding there. Um, so things we want to, family issues, things we want to avoid, uh, parental favoritism, marrying unwisely, things we want to emulate, trusting, uh, trusting the Lord and, and helping our parents trust us as we trust the Lord, right? Paul says, imitate Christ insofar as I imitate or imitate me insofar as I imitate Christ. So that, that kind of feel. The last practical uh, lesson I kind of took, um, in, we talked about it in Genesis 26, the, the mixed obedience. Um, so Isaac, Isaac listens to the Lord in, in fleeing famine and goes to the place the Lord tells him to in faith, and yet he still doesn't trust the Lord enough not to act deceitfully. And so... This is an issue for all of us. Our obedience is not perfect. Um, our righteousness does not rely on our perfect obedience. And this is what makes the gospel so wonderful. Like, it doesn't have to be because Christ has become sin on our behalf so that we might become, we might be his righteousness. So when the Lord sees us, he sees Christ's righteousness, not ours. And so on the one hand, all of our obedience is mixed. It's never perfect. And so we need to like take to that to the Lord and confess and work and fight for righteousness. But on the other hand, Christ provides payment for our mixed obedience. And so we don't have to rest on our own works, our own imperfect obedience, but rather we can rest on Christ's perfect obedience on our behalf. And so that's kind of the last practical application I took from this. Any, uh, any other practical lessons uh, or observations you had from the life of Isaac or anything we talked about today? Or final comments on anything you de desire? Awesome. You guys have been great. Uh, let me pray for us, and then I'll free you to go about your morning. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for, yeah, providing the perfect substitute in Jesus Christ. Our obedience is mixed. We are, um, every part of us is touched by sin. And so we are grateful for a Savior um, who obeys on our behalf, who, who we can rest in, who we can have faith in to make us, um, yeah, your children, to make us the family of God. We thank you for providentially arranging history with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the rest, all the way down to here in Delray Baptist Church with the Hamiltons, the Balikians, the Cliftons, the Geikamas. You have arranged all of these things uh, for your purposes and drawn people to yourself. And so we, we thank you for your providential hand and for drawing people to you. As we go out from this place, Lord, help us to remember that you are a God who makes promises and keeps them. Help us trust in that. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.